0: everybody to the State of Mind podcast. My name is Mike Stroh. In today's episode, we have quite an inspirational guest named Samra Zafar. She is an award-winning international speaker, best-selling author, consultant, educator, and entrepreneur who advocates for gender equity, inclusion, and human rights. She has been recognized among the top 100 most powerful women in Canada and a top 25 Canadian immigrant. Her book, A Good Wife, Escaping the Life I Never Chose, is an international bestseller and named among CBC's best books of 2019, and is now being adapted to a premium TV series. She is one of the youngest alumni governors at the University of Toronto, a celebrated ambassador for Plan International and a board member for Women's College Hospital Foundation. After arriving in Canada as a child bride and escaping a decade of abuse, Samra pursued her education as a single mother working multiple jobs and graduated as a top student from the University of Toronto with several awards and scholarships. She began sharing her story to raise awareness about gender-based violence and has since become a globally recognized expert on equity and inclusion, violence against women, and mental health. Her speaking portfolio includes three TEDx talks and speeches to immigrants, refugees, and Citizenship Canada, UNICEF, Yale University, Amnesty International, Heart of Leadership, and many leading nonprofits, corporations, and universities around the world. Her work has been extensively featured in both Canadian and international media, including Washington Post, Huffington Post, National Post, Globe and Mail, CBC, CTV, Global News, Yahoo, and more, impacting tens of millions of people worldwide. Samra has an incredibly inspiring story. And the way that she has come out the other side of that and the way she worked through all the trauma and difficulties is an incredibly inspiring example of what human beings are capable of. And without further ado, here's our conversation. So hi, Samra. Lovely to see you. And thank you so much for joining me. I always think it's best to allow the guest of honor sort of to introduce you know, themselves in the way they think is best. I think it always comes out best that way. And I have read your bio and shared that information. But if you want to just kind of say hello and introduce yourself how you normally do, I think that would be great.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you so much, first of all, for having me. I'm truly honored to be here and really excited for our chat. As, uh, as an introduction, you know, there's so many different hats that I wear. I'm a mom of two teenagers, which uh, often makes me want to pull my hair out, but <laughs> it's great for the most part. I'm a public speaker. I'm an author. Um, I am an educator on a lot of things that we're going to talk about today. And I think at the core of it, I'm I'm a I'm a bit of a social justice warrior. And I, I just want to do whatever I can to create a world where people are empowered and accepted and loved for who they are and to spread that message of love and humanity as much as I possibly can through my voice, through my work, through my words, actions. And, you know, it all started from my own story of, being oppressed and abused for the greater part of my life, so yet, as a, as a childhood sexual abuse survivor, as and then being forced into a marriage when I was a child, and then going through over a decade of domestic abuse of all, all forms. And something in my gut, my heart, my, my mind, always just kept saying, there's more to it. Life can be more beautiful. This can't be it. This just—I can't possibly just spend my entire life living like this and then just die one day, you know. And and it was difficult to break free from those shackles and expectations and uh, chains of judgment and confinements of reality, or uh, what my reality was back then. So it was certainly difficult, but at the same time, it was a chance that I was willing to take. And I always thought, even if there's a little bit of a chance that life could be better, I'm going to take that chance because I don't want to sit there years and years later and regret. So I started to plan my escape and left my marriage, pursued my education, built a new life for myself and my daughters. And then came another sort of inflection point in my life where okay, what do I want to do with all this success that I've received and my fancy new job and my awards and scholarships? And I could ride off into the sunset and live happily ever after in my new life, or I could do something with it. And I just felt this burning in my in my heart that I, I can't just stay silent. I knew that my story wasn't just my story. It was the story of millions and millions of people around the world who live and suffer in silence because no one talks about these issues. And uh, I just wanted to do my part to make a difference, to show people that their power and their strength lies within them. And you just have to dig deep and find it. And I started to share my story, the hopes of making some difference. And now, seven years later, it snowballed into this into this speaking career and a book and everything. The purpose, of, though, no matter if I'm doing a little blog or if I'm doing a speech in front of thousands of people or writing my next book or whatever, the purpose always remains the same is that maybe there's one more life I can touch. Maybe there's one more person I can help. And maybe there's a little bit more difference that I can make. So thank you for giving me the opportunity to do that for your audience.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, you know, it's a privilege and, and like, there's a sense of gratitude, you know, but when connecting to people such as yourself who there's something so I find mm, inspiring and encouraging when people such as yourself are carrying themselves and their story and their message in such a way of integrity and dignity. And, and it, it's, not common I guess you know to find or to see people who are such beautiful embodiments of that and so I'm always so drawn to that because it's such a lovely sense of I don't know being or something you know and yeah
1: (laughs) it's just you feel like you're part of something you're part of a an unspoken, unseen higher being, you know, and yeah, yeah, we're all we're all individuals, but we're also part of a greater whole,
0: mm-hmm. and it
1: just, it just makes it so beautiful. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm, it does. Okay, so you, when did your book get published? And it's called "The Good Bride," is that right?
1: No, a a good wife, a good wife a good
0: wife. Thank you. Okay,
1: living the life I never chose and uh, it is a story it is my memoir my entire life journey at least my not entire but like entire (laughs) And, um, and it got published in march of 2019 the reason i named it a good wife was because i constantly heard from my family and his family a good wife stays silent a good wife tolerates a good wife is subservient and submissive and downplays and you know herself and her ambitions etc. I wanted to use that title to unpack it you know what does that even mean what does what is the meaning of being a good wife and and how that is so full of double standards and defined by uh, very misogynistic and patriarchal norms. So yeah I got published in 2019 of March um, became an instant bestseller and uh, is now being adapted to a TV series. So we're writing the screenplay right now, which is amazing.
0: <laughs> wow, that is incredible.
1: Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty surreal. Like, yeah,
0: yeah, I'm getting goosebumps. That,
1: I'm like, I really say that. <laughs> no, not every day you get to say it, there's a movie being made on my life. <laughs>
0: yeah. Wow. <laughs> Can you? Yeah. So, what does that look like? Yeah. What does that look like? Or how is that coming to life? So,
1: it it's it's right now we're in the process of screenplay writing. So, I have a team of screenwriters who are doing it, and I'm I'm weighing in whenever I need to and providing context, etc. So, it is an it is an essentially an adaptation of my book. We should be done with the scripting by the end of the year, and then going to production and shooting in 2021 and if all goes smoothly and well we should be out with in 2022 at some point so it's actually it's being done by bell media so it'll be on ctv most likely and and then internationally probably netflix or something but that's in the works
0: yeah that is incredible yeah yeah sure yeah because i guess it's another opportunity as you i've heard you mention in the past you know your story or you found yourself sitting there thinking at one point and just sort of correct me if I get some of the details wrong, but you thought there's lots of other people and also in more particular, in your case, women who are out there who share my story or share my experience and speaking to that is such an empowering opportunity for them or just having that message get out. And through, you know, a book and TV or whatever that may turn into, is another way for that message yeah, to yeah,
1: get out. Just different mediums, right? Like some people read books; a lot more people watch TV. And uh, however, we can reach uh, people with that message, with that, with that, you know, with that shattering of of norms and stereotypes that are so unfair and outdated. And it's, it's very powerful. And all these mediums are powerful in their own ways. Like a lot more people, a lot of people were impacted when I was spe- doing speeches and TED Talks. And then I did an article. And then I did the book. And now the, this is leading to a TV series. And after that, who knows what else it will lead to. But like I said, these are just different mediums. And you are sort of just you know, it's just a way of living out your purpose in all these different ways. So it's the same message, just unpacked or are packed differently and packaged differently. So it's very exciting. It's a very it's a very exciting creative process. I certainly had a lot of fun with the book, although yeah, a lot of fun. I'll say that with a caveat because I also had a lot of difficult moments with the book. It was required a lot of vulnerability on my part and then now with the with this tv series it's a different type of process so you know we're, we're taking something that is like for for example you know in a book you are able to like when you want to describe a scene if i want to describe this room it'll probably take me a couple of paragraphs to write the where the cushions are at and what the plant looks like and what the view is and and all that and you know the and but then, when I want to write about how I'm feeling, it's just one sentence that I'm feeling sad or I'm feeling overwhelmed. Whereas on the, in TV, it's the opposite. Like, if you want to show a room, it's literally a snapshot, you know? But then the feelings are conveyed through, you know, dialogue and uh, between two characters, or you have to just kind of do more work to draw out that internal emotion so it's a very different way of telling the story so i'm having a lot of fun right now working with the screenwriters because they're like no 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 because in my head oh this scene is so powerful in the book they're like yeah it's not going to work on tv we're Mm going to have to like do it this way and I'm like oh (laughs) so (laughs) (laughs) it's it's a lot of fun learning all of that and there were certainly some things in the book that i wanted yeah. I, now I want to highlight more of like the generational cycle to abuse, and one of the things in the book that didn't come through as much as I would have liked to was that uh, my father was very much an abuser, and when I saw him abuse my mom, it created a bit of a cycle in my head and, and a benchmark, and I a lot of the abuse that I tolerated in my own marriage was because of the abuse that I saw my dad inflict upon my mother it normalized it for me. So that's the generational cycle that I wanted to break with my own girls. I didn't want them to grow up thinking that this is normal. So I think that is something that I would highlight a little bit more in the TV series. And then certainly also the impact on children's mental health. A lot of people think, a lot of women, they choose to stay for the sake of their children because they think it's you know I need to give a two parent family to my child, and you know my child has his own room and then in our big beautiful house, if I leave, I don't know where I'll be, and my child will you know um not have the comforts that they're used to, et cetera, et cetera and what and I' certainly felt that way too, I thought I was doing my kids a favor by sacrificing my own self to give them a traditional nuclear family, whereas what I've learned through my journey is that you, you are actually doing your children a big, big disservice from a psychological and mental health point of view uh, if you're staying with abuse. Children don't need two parents. Children need love and care, even if it's from one parent. They need to see role modeling. They need to see respect. So as a mother, yes, you can, I can tell my children to be strong women, but if I'm not displaying that, if I'm not showing them that by example, they're not going to do that. They're going to do what they see. So I needed to make sure that I was strong in order for them to have that healthy role model. And today what I say to a lot of women who reach out to me for mentorship, et cetera, that don't leave, I mean, don't stay for the sake of your kids, leave for the sake of your kids. So um, your kid is fine with less toys and a smaller bedroom but what they're not going to be fine without or with or without sorry is love and respect. So when they grow up without seeing a healthy relationship and what that looks like they're going to accept the same toxicity and the same abuse in their own lives or they're going to inflict it upon someone else. So i think people just need to have their priorities right emotional and mental well-being is way more important than materialistic and societal standards. So that's something else as well that I want to, I want to bring it out more in the TV series that the kids are not just innocent bystanders who are not being affected because a lot of women, oh, he abuses me, but he doesn't abuse the kids. No, even exposure to family violence is a form of child abuse. And uh, that's something that I want to bring out a little bit more in the in the TV series as well. Yeah. I could go on
0: and on. Yeah, no, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Okay, so I my mind was sort of sort of along that vein or along that line of thinking. When you could you maybe describe how that happened for you, where you crossed that threshold of sort of allowing yourself to let go of, no, I, this is not okay. And whatever the fears are that are telling me, I must stay here. How did, how do you let go of that and walk into the fears of the unknown? Cause that's a huge psychological it, barrier, right? Or, uh, yeah.
1: It's, it's a shift. It's a shift. And for every person it happens differently and in a different timeline and i'm not i'm going to talk about it from a more high level not just about abuse but overall about any situation that you may be in in life whether it's a bad relationship whether it's a job that you're not happy with a career uh, that you're just kind of doing it for the sake of it and not really your heart's not in it you know somewhere that you're living the social circle and friends that you have right so whatever situation you're in and you are in a way of this big fire truck going on. That's <laughs> the <There's laughs> <of> background noise.
0: <laughs> okay. It's gone. <laughs>
1: so, whatever situation you're in and you're unhappy with, the reason that you keep staying in that situation is because of the fear of what lies ahead, the fear of the unknown. If I leave this job, will I be able to find another job? Just as good? Will I be ostracized by the corporate world and will I not be able to put food on the table for my children? If I leave this marriage, will I ever be loved again? Will I find someone else? How will I survive on my own? Who will take care of me in my sickness? Uh, If I leave this town, if I leave these friends, I don't know what the world is going to look like after. I don't know what that new town is going to be like. I don't know what that new friend circle is going to be like, even if I can. If I'll be able to make a friend circle, you know, if I leave my family, which doesn't my family who doesn't understand me, but then at least they're a family, at least I have a family, right? So it's it's that fear of the unknown that holds us and keeps us trapped in that hamster wheel. But when when the the shift comes when when you're, you know, initially your leaving is scarier than staying, that's why you stay. The shift happens when staying becomes scarier than leaving. And that happens gradually over time. That's why I always say leaving is not a one-time thing. Leaving any situation, whether it's abuse, whether it's your family, whether it's your job, whether it's your community, whether whatever, it's not a one-time thing, it's a process. So the more you work on making leaving less scary, and the more staying becomes scarier, the, that pendulum's gonna shift over time. And I'll now give my example. I was in my marriage for 11, 12 years. And for the, for the first few years, number of years, leaving was terrifying. I had no idea about my rights as a woman, as a Canadian, as a human being. I have no family in Canada. I had no idea where I'd go. I didn't even have a high school education when I got married. I was in grade 11. You know, I didn't even have a high school diploma. I couldn't apply to universities. When I did did finish my high school through distance learning, being at home and taking care of my husband and his parents and everybody, I studied at home. It took me five years to finish my six high school credits. And then I started to apply to university and I couldn't get government funding, or OSAP, because they look at household income, and his income was too high, even though he never gave me a penny. So that then became, you know, like it was just barrier after barrier. So there were so many things standing in the way. And, and, I, and I also, I was told by his parents that because he sponsored me, if I left him, I would be deported and I would lose my children because they were born Canadian. And I know now that's not true. But at that time, I had na- no way of knowing that. So leaving was incredibly scary. In fact, there's a scene in my book when he hits me and I run to the bathroom with my, with and I, and as I'm running to the bathroom, I grab the cordless phone, because uh, that I never had a cell phone, so it was a home phone. I grab it on the way and I'm in the bathroom, lock it and I'm crying, sitting on the edge of the bathtub. And I dial 911. And then my finger is hovering on top of the dial button for the call to go through. And, and I, my hand is like literally shaking. And then the thoughts in my head are, but where will I go? Who will support me? I don't have family in Canada. Will my child be taken away from me? I don't have an education. How will I find a job? How will I make ends meet? Will anyone ever love me again? Will I find any, anyone to be with me? I'll be damaged goods I'll be a source of shame to my community and my society because only bad women get divorced and all those things and I couldn't press the dial button because leaving was so scary but as through my marriage I did manage eventually to go to university and worked as a babysitter to save money on this on uh, secretly and then eventually started university after 10 years of marriage and then stumbled upon the Health and Counseling Center and learned about what was happening to me was abuse. And I remember for the first time when I talked to my counselor, I was like, can you please tell me what's wrong with me? Why do I keep messing up? Maybe if I cook better food or wash better clothes or keep the baby quiet at night or not talk too much or not have opinions, maybe this will get better. But if this is normal, if this is the way it's supposed to be, then why doesn't it feel normal? Why is there a voice, this voice in my head that keeps saying there's, something more to life you know life could be more beautiful life could be better and why doesn't this voice go away and that's the first time anyone said to me she held my hand and said samra it's not your fault and that's when i learned as i kept going to counseling that what was happening to me was abuse it was not okay that i deserved better i had rights as a woman as a human being as a canadian and Knowledge is power. So that knowledge made leaving less scary over time. And I learned about the fact that I will not be deported, that I will get child support. I will be able to go to school and complete my education. I will get OSAP when I'm separated because now I'm not legally married. I will get you know university support and other bursaries and things that I can apply for. Doesn't mean it's gonna be easy, but there are options, it's doable, right? So that made leaving less scary. And on the flip side, because now I was getting confidence, I was going to school, I was starting to push back on the treatment uh, of abuse at home, which it only made abuse worse because abuse is about power and control. And when the abuser feels that he's losing control, he exerts more power. And so what happened then steve became scarier because he started to hit me more the the physical violence escalated to a point where there were a couple of times that he was about to kill me so i was scared for my life that what if one day he goes too far one time he was a, he was he had his hands around my throat and his thumbs were literally inches or centimeters from my windpipe and if he squeezed i would have been gone and and I have two kids, and what if, what if in a fit of rage one day he actually does it? So, so scary, staying became scarier, and leaving became less scary. right? And then that shift happened, and I was in my second year of undergrad at U of T Mississauga when I finally left, and didn't have all the answers, didn't have all my ducks in a row, lots and lots of still unknowns, but just had a little bit of hope, and a, ton of courage and determination that if I don't try I'll never know. And and I left and I took my daughters with me and we moved into a tiny student housing apartment on campus. No AC, ugly green carpet, <laughs> really, really small and shabby compared to the big beautiful house that I lived in with my husband in Streetsville, Mississauga. It was like it was the like very tiny. But It was mine. It was the first time in my life that I felt safe at home. That I could wake up when I wanted to. I could have friends. I could make friends. I could talk to people. I could go out when I wanted, come back when I wanted. It just felt like I could breathe. And it was liberating. I mean, it was still not, like, it wasn't an easy next two years. There was so many different challenges from financially and the legal battles that I had to fight in order to be able to get child support and spousal support kick in, all the stuff that I had to deal with from a cultural backlash and uh, social stigma, my own trauma, the way it affected me, the emotional healing that I needed to do. It was very difficult. And there were certainly days when I was like, what am I doing? Maybe I should just go back. Like, am I like, you know, I'm just being stupid. What makes me think I can actually make it on my own? But. Luckily, I found a community of people at UTM and and made friends and supporters and who who championed me and held my hand through those dark moments. And eventually, like, you know, I picked up four or five on campus jobs. I was working um, studying full time. I was raising my kids. Took it one day at a time and eventually graduated and I was named the top student and won several awards and scholarships, which is when I started to share my story. But when I think about you know when people ask me, "When did you leave?" I say, it was like not really any one point yeah may I maybe I physically left in after twelve years of marriage, but that leaving that that final step was a culmination of a lot of steps along the way. It was a whole journey and a lot of process, a lot of knowledge building, so you know the, and this even though people whoever you know people would be listening to this later there will be, you'll be in different situations, but the process and the roadmap is is quite similar. And whether it's a job that you're trying to get out of that, a career that makes you very unhappy that you just did it because everybody told you that's the way to go, that's the way to success, we all do that. Like we grew up in a society where certain careers are more revered than others and, you know, like, I have so many friends who are accountants. I've never understand why, but you know, because I have so many friends who are lawyers and they hate it. I have so many friends who are like, you know, we, we we all like. I became an economist and I never really wanted like. If I were to go back to school, I wouldn't study economics. Like my passion is mental health, so I'm like now thinking of ways to go into psychology and men- studying about mental health. So completely pivoting. So yeah, it is scary. Like, you know, I've been in the corporate world for a very long time now and I'm like, yeah, I'm used to a certain level of paycheck and benefits and I'm going to have to, uh, leave all of that and completely reinvent myself. But then you ask yourself the question, am I happy where I am? And then people will often sometimes answer, yeah, I'm not happy, but I'm not unhappy either. Like, is that your benchmark for life? As long as you're unhappy, you'll, you're not unhappy, so you'll stay. Like, is, be, is not being miserable the standard, <laughs> <laughs> right? Uh, like, that wasn't my question. My question, like, people say that, like, I have a friend who is in a, an unhappy marriage and, or, like, she's not happy in her marriage. There's no love. There's no excitement. There's no romance. There's no, like, you know. There's no, exci- like, it's just not a happy marriage, right? And she's like, yeah, but I'm not really unhappy. I'm like, so you, that's why you won't leave or that's why you won't try to fix it? So you gotta ask yourself that, right? So I don't think be, not being unhappy <laughs> is 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 an acceptable way to live, except, especially for me. Like, you know, I, I don't believe in that. And I certainly feel like I'd rather be miserable trying <laughs> Hmm. and or i'd rather fail trying than just fail sitting and doing nothing about it right so i think when you lead with that no matter what situation you're in no matter where you are in life whatever thing you're trying to get out of or change you just like well yeah you could you could take the leap and then things will go wrong but are they really even right right now Right. And then you do whatever you can to make leaving less scary. So that when you do take the leap, right, um, you're just more prepared.
0: Yeah. That's nice. It's you described it's almost you start cranking the wheel or whatever it is, and then all of a sudden it just goes. And then I guess that's when people pick up um and move. I think there's two helpful I guess, psychological mechanisms that are working in that sense. And there's been a lot of research on, yeah, we're much more fearful of losing than we are joyful of gaining. Mm -hmm. So that's part of that. And I, I assume it has, I mean, it must, I'm not too familiar on the literature behind it, but it must have to do with our evolutionary progress in terms of, you know, holding on to the food that we do have now is much more important than, the idea of getting more food later, mm-hmm. you know, in that context. And so it does, it does play out in our.
1: It's a survival mode. In fact, I feel like, sometimes I feel like I was actually telling my friend this the other day, I feel sometimes that I was braver when I had nothing to lose than I am now. when I have a lot more to lose, you know, like when I left my marriage, it was kind of like, I had no other way. Like I, I, I would have, if I stayed, I would have died. <laughs> I would have been annihilated. I I mean, died either physically, but definitely spiritually and emotionally, I was dead. So it it was being pushed to that point of no return. And, you know, I left then. And, but now, you know, especially when I was talking to talking about my career, like, but I have this amazing job and I have, you know, and everybody tells me, oh, you have this amazing job that so many people would kill to have. And, you know, I have this, I have, a stable life i live downtown i've got my kids they have like these the, you know we have a beautiful home and, and like i'm going to just give up all give all of that up right so it, it's whereas like and my friend was like samra you literally like had nothing i w- you know you were homeless you were on living on welfare and you you made it work now you have so much going for you, you can definitely make it work. So it's kind of like, and and you know, and she, she actually said something to instead of thinking about all the things that could go wrong, why don't you think about all the things that could go right? It just like sort of, you know, like a bit of a aha moment for me. I was like, you're so right because we almost let some, and we're all we're all susceptible to that. We almost let fear become more powerful than, than courage. And I think if we're mindful of that though, that's when the shift happens. It's like, yeah, you know, what's the worst that could happen? I'll try my own thing. I'll go and do a psychology degree or whatever. I'm not gonna be able to make a living out of it, and then I'll go and go back and get a bank job. So I'm back to where I started. It's still, it's still better than, uh, but like you know, at least I would have given it a shot and tried, right? At least yeah. I'm not sit there later and regret that. Oh, I wish I could have the courage to do something different and
0: follow my mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's also something nice about that that helps or is an example of another maybe misunderstood or not clearly articulated part of us as humans is that when we so the you mentioned sort of the it's not that bad, so I'll just stay here. Mm-hmm. And if we contrast that to it's really difficult to engage in the pursuit of something new and uh, there's some fear in that perhaps but letting go of what we do have and to step into the unknown to pursue those things there's something that's so i think inherent in us as humans that that is almost our purpose in life is to seek out the unknown or the the new and Struggle in the pursuit of that because that's where, yeah, that's where you know, fulfillment comes from. We're, yeah,
1: that's where growth comes from, that's where, yeah, and fulfillment comes from. I know, um, as human beings, we're not meant to be stagnant, yeah. I'm a big (laughs) fan of Oprah and her book, uh, The Path Made Clear. There's a chapter in it called uh, Road Road, as in like your journey of life, and she talks about how life is almost like a river, you know, and and when you follow along the river, like, you know, there's going to be bends, there are going to be big rocks and small rocks, there's going to be waterfalls where, you, where the water crashes, there's going to be little crevices and, you know, little pools, little, like all kinds of stuff, right? Like it's so unpredictable what's going to happen at the next curve, at the next bend. And that's kind of what life is like. The trick is not in changing that, Because you can't, you can't predict what's going to happen. You can't predict what's going to, what's what's around the next curve, the next day, the next moment, the next month, you know, but the, the, the trick is the power where our power lies in, is in being as fluid-like as possible, Mm -hmm. as liquid and as water-like as possible, because that's how we're going to get through it. We're going to get through each crevice, go around that rock you know, are under it, and we're going to fall from the waterfall and crash and then keep going. And, but if you get stuck, we're just not going to, you know, if we just hang on to this rock and, and you know, life is just going to going by us, that's not going to work. How long are we going to stay there? Right? Uh, you, you just have to let go and let life happen and be flexible and adaptable along the way so and and be intentional in the way you live your life the way like follow your purpose that gut feeling that you get like you know that intuition and i'm i'm sort of on that journey right now to be more and more connected with that intuition i always it's funny i was telling this to a friend last night that i feel like i've always lived from that place i just didn't know what to call it I didn't have words to articulate or to put, put, put it into sort of, you know, a verbal context. So for example, when it came to my education, I always, always just knew somewhere deep down that I'm not going to let anything stand in the way and I'm going to do something with my education. I was married when I didn't even finish my high school. I was not allowed to go to school. I was told that I should be grateful that I didn't have to go through all of that education crap and I got to the real purpose of being a woman, sooner rather than later. There was no hope of ever being able to go to university, ever, like it was not even on the cards. But every single day, I would stand in front of the mirror and practice my graduation speech when I would graduate as a top student every day. And it happened. 10 years later, I gave that speech. And it was something inside me, this voice, this knowing, this deep intuition that just knew. And I trusted it. And I kept going. Similarly with the with, with the ending of my marriage. My entire family was against me leaving my marriage. Never, no girl from my entire extended family for generations and generations has ever gotten divorced, especially never initiated divorce. The women that are divorced, maybe one or two, were because they were left by their husbands. So they were the poor damsels in distress. Like no woman actually leaves. Like, how dare you even think along those lines? You know, no one's going to marry your sisters. No one's going to marry your daughters because you're going to be divorcee. And especially if you initiate it, etc., et Your job is to stay and tolerate. But there was just this knowing that, you know, everybody told me I'd crash and burn. I was like, no, I'll be fine. Hmm. I'll be okay. I'd rather crash trying than staying. So it, it just, it was always like something like that, something that, you know, just kind of this calling, this, this feeling, whatever I got, I always like, you, you know, people say, oh, you, you follow your heart. So it was sort of like that. But I never really knew how to put that into words and how to articulate it until like now that I'm on, you know, I'm actually consciously thinking about it. So I was doing all these things almost unconsciously. I didn't know that it was that, but now I'm more conscious about it. I'm more conscious about my feelings and how I feel around someone or in a position or in a job or in a career, like with my corporate career. Does it feel right? Does it feel like it's me? No, it doesn't, you know? And so dare to follow your heart. Like, does it feel like when I'm talking to somebody, when I'm in a relationship, like I've had a few relationships since my marriage ended. And, and there were a couple of times when I was, so it's sort of in it because you know i didn't even though i didn't really feel truly happy and i could and i wasn't really truly being myself and then eventually i was like does this feel okay does it like some i don't know i can't put a finger on it but it just doesn't feel right and it takes courage to change that and trust that feeling and there have been times when i haven't been able to trust it as much as i'd like to and i've actually seen the consequences of it later, you know, oh my God, I just wish I, how many times do we say to ourselves, I should have listened to my gut, right? Mm-hmm. We all say that. I should have listened to my gut. I saw the red flags. I saw the signs. I knew this was wrong, but I didn't listen to my gut. So listen to listening to your gut, like that's what it is. It's, it's that knowing that intuition that you have inside of you. So knowing is one thing and then acting upon it is the other. And especially consciously acting upon it is the next thing. So like, Feeling it, and then, yes, this is what my body is telling me. This is what the universe is telling me. This is what my intuition is telling me. And i got to trust that, trust me, and go with it. And, and that's something that I am now practicing more and more to do consciously instead of just, like, I'm doing it, but I don't know what I'm doing.
0: <laughs> I'm curious along that line, it seems that our if we think about how young people are taught about well-being and mental health, even adults in sort of our hyper-rational, secular, I guess you could throw in the word materialistic world, there's a huge, I I think there's a, and in my studies, or I guess as I'm seeing more clients in, in psychotherapy, it's getting reinforced but there's a deep void of meaning or purpose or you could I mean in some ways you could call it spirituality or dare I say the word religion it doesn't necessarily matter
1: I think faith is the is the word there's a big difference I'm not religious at all and I grew up in yeah. a very very strict religiously Muslim family but I don't identify as that anymore and I and I made that conscious decision that doesn't mean that I don't have faith or I'm not spiritual yeah. Like. Yeah. It's a very, very different thing. It's a very different thing. Like For me, my connection with a higher purpose, being, meaning, comes from the work that I do, the fact that, you know, I, I travel a lot and I travel in uh, seeking that feeling because like, every, sometimes it's a conversation that I'm having with someone. And, you know, you know that feeling when somebody says exactly what you need to hear in that moment? Like, our, you know, sometimes you just are sitting somewhere and you're feeling that you know I'm sitting here in solitude but I don't feel alone I don't feel lonely like you're you're part of something you know you're part of yeah. I, I truly feel that we're all interconnected and you know that doesn't mean that there's a god uh, a male new god figure sitting in a throne and <laughs> the people with him or hell <laughs> you know yeah. that yeah, yeah
0: for sure <laughs> yeah
1: um but there's but we are here we're all in this world for a reason and every one of us has a unique reason a unique purpose but it's all also interconnected with a higher purpose so i i'm a firm believer in, in this mark twain quote that there are two most important days of your life the day you were born and the day you find out why and when i first started sharing my story seven years ago and i saw the response and the my social media being flooded with thousands of messages from women and men all over the world. That's the day I found my why. This is why I'm here. And I followed that path and everything that I do today, speaking, writing, career, blah, 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 it's all to follow that why. So you don't have to find your why, you just have to uncover it because it's already there. You just have to let it come to the fore. And, and that, I think, that's the phase. You know, we often, you know, live our lives literally on a, on a never ending cycle on repeat, right? We, we are like eat, entertainment, sleep, work, eat, entertainment, sleep, work, kind of a cycle. And we're living in that. It's like a hamster wheel. And we don't realize that, like we don't pause to think, is there a higher purpose of me being here in this world? Is there something more that I'm meant to do? And just go to my do my nine to five, watch a couple of movies a week, have a fancy dinner once a week, and then just keep doing that on repeat. Like no, like there, we all have an inherent higher purpose, and all our purposes are interconnected. Like I, I don't think I'll ever be an environmental activist. Of I'm, I'm, you know, conscious about my choices being sustainable. My passion is is you know helping combat violence against women and gender based violence of all forms and child marriage and and uh, mental health. That's and, and helping people move past trauma. Like that's my passion. And then someone else's passion is something else. Someone else's passion. And like we, but we all come together for that higher purpose of creating a more conscious and loving world. In our own little ways, we're contributing little pieces to it, right? And and I think a lot of people just if they would just pause and and consciously think about that and look at the world through that lens, like what are we what are we put here for, and uh, and follow that feeling. I think it's the world is just going to be a much much more loving place.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I I agree. And the well, the I love the word faith when when we can disconnected from the religious connotations that we all have to it, it becomes quite powerful. And I I really, if one area from all my work in the schools and, and seeing all these different curriculums here, there, and everywhere, there's, I guess it's tricky, but there's a big, I think it's a mix of fear and lack of wisdom and skill in teaching kids or at least discussing these ideas because we're very and and i see it starkly i guess in the contrast between the catholic schools and the the non-religious schools and you know uh, let's set all the problems with the religion aside in the catholic schools uh there's a distinctly different tone of behavior and com- a sense of communal being or living. And they have, I did a lot of work with the school in Toronto, Catholic school. And, you know, they have monthly assemblies where they, I think the year that I was there, I was there every week for a whole year, they have their virtues or their every assembly, there's a, a theme for the month. And they're usually character-based themes. So compassion or kindness or love or uh, service or whatever. These are these, I don't know what they are. They're almost universal realities that are most important. (laughs) But we don't seem to be teaching those or discussing them very much in our, again, hyper-rational, modern sort of materialist world and i guess maybe it's a little bit of a pivot but you are on the i think you're on the board of directors at uft is that right yeah so and there's been a lot of i have a couple friends that work at uft and they and sometimes they'll forward me these emails about these mental health initiatives and you know there's all these big we care about student well-being da 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 is there ever any discussion around this kind of stuff because it's not even even at university level there's just no it seems as though we don't and I may correct me if I'm wrong or maybe help correct my thinking on this it's almost as if we are enabling this void of meaning and purpose in kids so instead of kind of saying here's a direction you could go and it would force you to deal with difficult things we kind of say oh it's okay, you know. We'll protect you, or we'll make you safe, or we'll.
1: We focus. On, yeah, I know exactly what you mean because if we focus on the scientific elements, but not the spiritual elements, and you know, I think all the spiritual elements are just things that science haven't hasn't discovered yet.
0: <laughs> you yeah, know? and uh, it sometimes is discovering too, right? Or is, yeah, is presenting exactly in a different way.
1: Kind of energy and you know. Um, the importance of connecting with your emotions and feelings, et cetera. And I, I know there's a very big difference between religion and faith. I mean, personally, yeah. I believe religion is a social construct. It has nothing to do. Sometimes it, it's just, it's just people putting some kind of construct or structure around, around, around that rationalizing death or around, you know, faith based kind of practices. Like they, they feel something and they don't know what to do with it. And I mean, again this is my own musings and die and i grew up in a, and i grew up in a in a life where religion was in fact often used as a tool to justify all kinds of patriarchy misogyny and violence i mean my my mother-in-law said to me it's perfectly okay in islam to hit your wife so your husband's doing no wrong and i've heard the same stories from churches in in uh, rural saskatchewan you know my church will abandon me if i leave my abusive husband or uh, you know jewish synagogues or like so uh, if you think of like a lot of times religion is used as a tool so that it's not that religion is bad it's that you know, the, the, in, the people who are interpreting, the people who are often practicing, they're doing it not in a faith-based way, but in an indoctrination, and this is the way it's been done. And we want to, you know, it. it, it honestly, sometimes like, it becomes a huge disconnect between the spirit of the religion and the faith of it versus the practice of it. And I can only speak to it from a, you know, from growing up in a certain religion as in Islam, but then I've seen similar parallels in all the other religions. So, but if, when you come out of that, like, you know, I don't identify or align myself to a religion now, but I'm very spiritual. I have a very strong faith, whether you call it God, universe, whatever you may call it, but it's that feeling that, you know, the universe has my back, you know, I can, I can do this, like I'm not alone. Yes, I'm, I'm alone, but I'm not alone. <laughs> I'm part of something bigger, you know? And that feeling is so comforting. It, it almost feels like you're in an embrace of some sort. It's so comforting, it's so empowering. Because what is the thing that is the cornerstone of resilience is connection. You know, when you feel connected to people for who you are, not for who you're supposed to be, for who you are truly, and authentically, that's why I often talk about vulnerability being the cornerstone to connection and then connection being the prerequisite for resilience. So when you are vulnerable as who you are and you put yourself out there and you build those authentic connections, and uh, that's what makes you more resilient because you know you're part of a community. You know that people will catch you if you fall. You know that you're not going to be left alone to die on the side of the street if you know, if you were to leave, that's what that, that's why eventually when I left, I left when I did because I was part of a UT community at UTM. I had some friends, I had, you know, I had been talking to counselors, I've been talking to some professors, and they all gave me that courage that, you know what, you're going to be okay, we're here. Right. And that's when I left. The reason people stay in unhealthy or ha- unhappy situations often is because they feel they are be left all alone. We're, we're social creatures. We're meant for connection. We don't want us, Like look at what this pandemic is doing us and feeling isolated and everything, right? Like, I mean, this is just a small, like, imagine, like, if you're, if you're, if you're living your entire life like that completely disconnected and I mean in the world even right now when we have all this kind of technology to connect with each other imagine if we were supposed, if we were living in isolation when we didn't have any of that right we we're, we're not meant to do that that's not our like we're, we're wired for connection hardwired for connection so you know but when when we feel a connection to each other it all definitely creates resilience but when we feel that connection to a higher being to the power within us and around us, that is a whole different ball game. A whole different ball game. Like it just becomes so comforting that even when you are sitting somewhere all alone, no other human being, you're not alone. You're part of something. You're part of a system. You're part of an. You're part of an intention. You're part of a higher purpose. You're playing your part on a team, and it's. It's very, very comforting. Like, I'll describe a quick moment, you know, I spent the last four, or five days in Algonquin on a bit of a, just a solo self-discovery, self-love kind of a, a journey. And the last night I was there, I was I found this very secluded spot near a lake to watch the sunset. And I, I think I sat there for like three hours. And I cannot even describe the magical, moment and feelings that I had in those three hours it there was no other human in sight it was it was just the breeze the sunset the sound of the rippling water but I felt like I was in an embrace I felt like I was just there I was talking to myself I was writing I was just let all my feelings just came to the forefront and it it just you know the words that kept coming to me, solitude, but not loneliness. And when you feel that, when you carry that feeling with you, it doesn't matter how many people you have around you or not. It just becomes, it just you just become so much more resilient. Like, you're like, you know what? I'm going to take this risk. The universe has my back. And that's that's the best feeling. And And I totally agree with you, I think we should have spirituality components like this built into our mental health education systems. And I haven't come across it. It took me a long time to find it, and I'm still on that journey. And I think I always will be. But you know, it's it's very, very important because what what are you then supposed to do when you don't have anyone, when you're all alone? What are you supposed to do? You're going to fall apart, whether it's a pandemic whether it is going to a new city and suddenly being forced to make new friends, whether it's like in a high school where you're being bullied, whether, whether it's whatever situation you're in, if, if, you're, if you're feeling alone, you feel lonely and you fall apart. But you have that deep sense of connection and love within you. And you realize that, that love lies in you. You can choose who to give it to, but you don't need somebody else to have that. You can create your own happiness. You can create your own your own sense of connection and love it comes from within not from outside and when you when you get that it becomes your superpower i think that's really missing right now
0: yeah how i guess what comes up for me in thinking about that is that it it's so hard to grasp right or it's so hard to make like material (laughs) and you know and so when trying to even in discussing things with clients or whatnot uh, think of a couple in particular but there's a deep yearning for that meaning and that purpose and you described a lot you know these are usually people that are relatively successful in the business world or in their careers but there's just a void there and part of i think at least helping fill the void is I think one is to remember or to be encouraged that it is it's not found in achievement or in I don't know sort of there's no goal there's no finish line I guess I should say and I I try to encourage people I guess this is how I was taught and how I've been practiced. I practice as well is that it's it's found in the maybe discipline or the commitment to making every step important or something along those lines. so if I'm journaling every day or if I'm practicing gratitude or if I'm practicing vulnerability or if I'm asking for help or if I'm taking time to acknowledge the, Universal existence of this thing uh, that is inside and outside—that's where it's found, and it's so hard for people to, yeah, get around it's their difficult conditions. To yeah,
1: difficult to grasp it, and it's also very difficult to talk about it. You know, because and sometimes you read it and you kind of like, yeah, I wish I could feel that way, but until it really happens and it clicks for you, it's difficult to kind of articulate it too, right? And. And sometimes you're like, I'm gonna sound crazy if I say this stuff. Like that happens. (laughs) Uh, So, but but it's it's real. It's is is so so real. And uh, you don't have to put a label on it of any religion or any system. Uh, Mm -hmm. You have to. That's an internal connection. Like some people get it through praying. Some people get it through volunteer work. Some people get it through skydiving that's that's actually the first time i felt it when i jumped off of a plane <laughs> this was like a year and a half ago and i and i've always been terrified of heights and i went up and i jumped off a plane but at the moment, right before i was about to jump and i thought i'd be terrified i thought i thought my because i was tandem with an instructor i thought he'd have to just kind of push me out or something but i felt this deep sense of calm that nothing can harm me anymore. Like, you know, the trauma that I've been healing from, the past, mm. present worries, Like, it's all, gonna, it's all gonna be okay. It's all gonna be okay because it has always been okay. Even though, yes, I've had a lot of different rocks and bends and uh, waterfalls and all kinds of horrible things in my river path. But as water, I'm pure. Me and pure, like those things have happened to me, but they don't define me. There's a separation between ex- between mind and being. They're like, yeah, this happened to me, right? But that's not who I am. I am, I am still as pure and as lovable and as worthy as I was born because that was my birthright. Mm-hmm. No one can take it away. And that feeling was just magical. And I, I jumped out of that plane with the biggest smile on my face. <laughs> and, and I cried when I landed. <laughs> so, you know, people find that through different ways. Like I, and now I find a lot of it, like I love traveling. So I, I'm just in awe of this world and I want to travel every place possible. I wanna see the, the little towns you know the and have conversations with random people everywhere I go, run into unexpected experiences and just soak it all in. You know, the, the, I'm always living in, I guess, in wonder of this world, and it's a beautiful feeling because you you feel alive each and every moment. Like just even when I'm driving uh, down or like taking a walk on the sidewalk and you know just an unexpected pebble or the blade of grass on my feet or a bug circling around my red hair because it thinks I'm a flower or any of that. Like it's just all, you know, part of being a purpose, you know, even that bug has a purpose. Even that pebble is a life form in, in its own way. Even the blade of grass, you know, it it, it, it just, when you live in that constant wondrous feeling, it's just this, you're just alive your every fiber of your being is alive because you're experiencing it all rather than just letting it all happen you're you're literally you're living instead of just existing and that is is such a beautiful feeling like it's because if it can be true in one moment where i went skydiving or that moment when i was sitting and watching the sunset in mm-hmm. angkor mm-hmm. it can be true in all moments if you just develop that mindset and i think it's such a powerful tool. It's such a powerful tool to be mindful in every moment of your life and we can live like that. Then then everything that kind of happens is peripheral. If I lose my job, yes, of course there's you know financial consequences to that. And I yeah, it's just another rock that's coming my way. But I'm gonna sail through it. Yeah, you know, I'm gonna, you know, just either go under, <coughs> over, through. The more fluid like I am, it's going to happen. And then, and then it'll be smooth. Like Life is not supposed to be all smooth. Life is hard. Life is full of ups and downs. But the more connected you are with yourself and the more in wonder of the world and you take every experience, good or bad, as, as, that, as that crucial piece in your journey and a learning experience, okay, this is my chance to learn something. The universe is teaching me something right now. You know, all the difficult things that happen to us uncover something that we need to learn. And it just becomes, life is magical, but then you start actually realizing it, living it in a magical way too.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think what's nice that you, you point out the reality that life is inherently difficult in lots of different ways, but that doesn't mean that that difficulty almost can't be enjoyed or that we can't find the comfort or you know or be connected to that sense of it's going to be okay despite this or regardless of what is going on and learning to i think i ideally if we could help teach that more or bring that into a sense of c- common discourse or something where we hold both more frequently
1: it's the difference between between pain and suffering pain is inevitable pain will happen because life is going to be painful there will be things that will happen to us that are painful pain is a chance to grow but pain doesn't have to lead to suffering you can actually go through pain feeling resilient and leaning into it and learning from it and not falling apart but if you if you resist that pain if you if you turn you know bury your head in the sand and you don't know how to deal with it you don't have the skill to do it it becomes constant suffering and I'll, I'll touch upon it briefly in this example my older daughter has was diagnosed three years ago with complex post traumatic stress disorder because of the abuse that she saw as a kid and she was suicidal she was Self-harming, it was the most painful experience of my life because I've, I've been through a lot myself, but when you see your child in that position, like as a parent, you know, you want to fight all the different monsters that come and attack your kid, but what if the monster lives in your kid's head? Like, what do you do? Right? It, it, I have never felt so helpless and, and just at a loss of what to do. I thought I was a good mom. I thought I was providing for them. I built this new life. We're doing so well as a family. We've left the abuse behind. I just thought, you know, like, yeah, he abused me, but he never abused the kids, so the kids are fine. But kids aren't just innocent bystanders. Kids are affected. And in fact, I always say exposure to family violence is also child abuse. So don't stay for the sake of your kids, leave for the sake of your kids maybe coming back to my daughter you know she it was a very painful experience to go through that as a mother and for her to go through that and had i buried my head in the sand and said oh no this isn't happening i don't want to deal with this it would have resulted in a ton of suffering for me and her but what i did instead yes i was sad i was crying i was kind of feeling helplessness and all of that but i also was like, okay, this is, I need to learn through this. I need to figure, I need to learn, I need to grow through this. And me and her, we can go grow together through this. So I seeked out all kinds of training programs, read books, learned about how to be an empathetic caregiver, talked to her. And we had so many fights. Like there were so many times when You know, she ran away from home one time, leaving a suicide note, like she would have behavior issues. And I realized what she's trying to do is test me. Because one time when I called her out on something that she did, like, yeah, well, why don't you leave me like dad did too? And she was testing me. And I said to her, you know what? I hate what you're doing right now. I absolutely hate it, but I absolutely love you. And that doesn't change. So test me all you want. (laughs) and and, you know and like the wind left her sails (laughs) but what i'm trying to say is that that experience of tremendous pain excruciating pain but going through that together going through therapy programs (laughs) learning to communicate better building the skills etc i learned how to be a much much better parent than i was i was the kind of parent who wanted to solve the problems I was the kind of parent when the first time she started acting out, I bribed her into better behavior. I bought her a $5,000 iMac. I took her to, I sent her on a, on a trip to Germany. You know, I was like trying like, oh, if I just solve her problems and provide her with all these things, she'll be happier. Uh, I was the kind of parent who also invalidated her, like, you know, in, a, sort of, they were, in the beginning, I would say things like, what do you have to complain about? I was married when I was your age. There are people dying in this world for, from hunger. You know, uh, you have so much to be grateful for. And she would say to me, Mom, just because you had different problems and other people have different problems, does, does that mean my problems aren't valid? And um, that taught me something. And then as we went through therapy together, etc., there was one time when we were in group therapy and she had a panic attack. And this was a group, like it was me and her and other, as well as other parents and their, their teenager youth and uh, who were struggling uh, through uh, mental health. So she had a panic attack. She got up and she went out, Like I'm going to get some fresh air. I followed her out and she was sitting in the middle of the street, like literally in the middle of the, of the street. And I And I was like, oh my God, what if a car comes? This is so embarrassing. I have to somehow make her get up. Like, you know, I started to go into that whole problem solving mode. And then instantly I stopped and I said, No, what does she need from me right now? And I went up to her and I just sat down in the middle of the street with her. And she looks, up, she looks at me. She's like, What are you doing? You're going to sit here in your four inch heels and your short dress. I said, Yes, because I love you. And I just want to sit here. And I just want to hold your hand. We don't have to get up. We don't have to go in. We can sit here for as long as you want, even if it takes a whole night. You just want to sit here and hold your hand. Can I please do that? And she's like, okay. And I just sat there and I held her hand and as she processed and she calmed down and she just then hugged me, burst into tears, got up and said, okay, mom, let's go back inside. And we went inside and we finished the rest of the session with our hands held under the table. And that's, what I learned through that pain, through those two years of excruciating pain as a mother, going through all of that therapy and everything, it, it just made me a much better, much more empathetic mom. And today, my daughter and I are closer than ever. Like We are, in fact, writing a book together now on this whole experience. So and that was her idea. <laughs> So it is. So it is. You know. Again, coming back, that pain is inevitable. Pain is going to happen. This wasn't the last time I've struggled with something, and it, it it definitely wasn't the first. But whether we suffer through it or not, that's our choice. And those are the skills that we want to teach our children is that you will definitely hit roadblocks. You will fall, you will fail, you will feel rejected. You will be put into circumstances that are horrible. You will be you know, treated unfairly. That's life, but you don't have to suffer through it. You can learn through it, you can push through it, you can grow through it, and you can be so much more happier and so much more resilient and come out the other side. And, and I think that is where our power lies and I, I just want to be able to I don't know, put that on <laughs> every single textbook out there.
0: <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Wow. Oh, and I think you said it at some point and I've heard it in terms of, you know, I've heard it in terms of shame, but you know, shame or trauma or et cetera, is not our fault. But it's our responsibility. And that's a really sometimes that's just a tremendously irritating and annoying reality to swallow but or to allow. But when we do, the world opens up and it's sort of you
1: know, we're I, freed
0: but we're freed from the shackles or whatever of the shame or the guilt or the you know,
1: when I came out of my marriage, I was so of course there were all these practical things that I had to deal with but i was very much aware of the trauma i knew that i'm carrying trauma i knew that yeah what happened to me wasn't my fault but how i move through it is my responsibility you know so it is absolutely my responsibility to take to take my healing and take the power of it in my own hands so I I put myself into therapy. I've been in therapy all these years and I probably will be for a very long time if not forever. I have worked through a lot of things in you know my marriage, my childhood trauma, my even even the stuff with my children, my own feelings of inadequacy and and pain and and unworthiness, imposter syndrome and all kinds of things. Even even you know being public about my story over and over and over again that like writing the book retriggered a lot for me so i ha- i was seeing my therapist every 2 weeks when in the whole process of writing the book so there's there's so much there and you never really move on from trauma you move on with it it always is there there will always be days when i'll feel like i just can't get out of bed there will always be, you know. Sometimes it's less, less, less and less frequent, of course, but once in a while that happens. Like during this pandemic, for example, I started having flashbacks of my marriage and incidents of violence, and feeling like I'm walking on eggshells in my own beautiful apartment. Like it was just crazy. And I talked to my therapist about it, and he asked me a question. He's like, Sarah when was the last time you were isolated in your own home you were told you can't go out of the house and you cannot make any friends or meet any people and i was like oh my god it was in my marriage so that trauma was re-triggered during the pandemic and and i was doing a lot of stuff on raising awareness and support for domestic violence victims during the pandemic and you know all of those talks and everything that i was doing it all just kind of became that whole weight so understanding where your limitations are where your boundaries are you know yes you want to help people but you don't want to do that at at your at the cost of your own mental and emotional well-being so understanding where to draw those lines how much to share and not share so sometimes you think vulnerability means sharing everything no it means you know sharing enough so there are certainly bits of my story that i haven't been public with and i don't know if i ever will be but i don't have to be you know like I'm doing what feels right to me and what is enough for me to do. And and then I'm working through the stuff that I'm still healing from. And, and you're always on that healing journey and unlearning a lot of what holds you back uh, from living your truth and from showing up authentically in the world for yourself and for others around you. So it's definitely your responsibility to take charge of it. No one can do the healing for you. No one can save you. You have to put on your oxygen mask. You have to realize. Like, I I was like, I know I'm carrying trauma. I don't want to end up jaded and bitter and cynical about the world and about people. I want to have loving and healthy relationships. I want to have a partner eventually in life who I can love and be loved in the healthy way. I want to have a wonder and joy and experience life. And for that, I want to heal. And that requires work, that requires effort, that requires healing and therapy and all of that. And so I've, I've been on that journey and there's no shame in it. There's absolutely no shame. The only shame is on the abusers that inflict that kind of trauma. In fact, it takes a ton of courage to leave that and, and heal from it.
0: I feel embraced by the the universe that we were talking about before as you're saying that it's like yeah oh. I'm sort of I'm aware of the time and we've been talking for a while it's so lovely because I, I know maybe we can talk about it at a, a future time but sure you, your work around like with parents and with children who are struggling with their mental health and how I think that that's a beautiful gift that I don't often see Uh, like there's a void in the in the books and the content there's a lot
1: of work being done in uh, now finally like you know with with youth but then what about parents Like if the parents don't know how to show up for their children in the right way
0: yeah you
1: know sit with them in the middle of the street and hold their hand
0: yeah Yeah.
1: they uh, they don't have the skills to do that i didn't have the skills to do that when when my daughter started to display these I didn't know what to do, even though I was like coming from the right place and, you know, loving, loving her more than anything, but I just didn't know how to translate that into being an effective and empathetic caregiver for her. And that's those, that's kind of where I really want to make a difference is to make sure parents understand how to show up for their children.
0: Yeah, because I think you also, I guess (laughs) we could go on for a long time about all that too, I think, but one another aspect that I think you embody or have done is, is also the, it's very difficult for us to show up for our kids. If we haven't dealt with our own stuff too, or are, are not dealing with our, our own stuff alongside that. Cause that's another parents just, it's so easy. I mean, for anybody, but it's so easy to say, Oh, my kids got the problems. They're the problem. Or, or maybe our we just need to f- fix that
1: put our own expectations on our children, too. Like, you know, I did that. Like, I, I struggled so much for my education that I I never even wanted to hear that my children had a path that it didn't involve a post-secondary university degree. You know, I, I struggled so much for it, you know, so you guys have to do this. Of course, I want my children to get an education. That's always been a, a non, non-negotiation thing, but education comes from so many different ways. And the world now is very different from the world that I lived in. And my goals were very different from their goals. So my daughter wants to be a filmmaker and there's so many different paths to that that don't have to involve that traditional path, right? So we sometimes unconsciously put our own narrative, our own sort of, where we haven't healed, we, we, put, we project that onto our children. So we have to be very conscious and, and certainly going through this whole experience with my daughter as she was struggling and going through all that therapy opened up a lot of healing from that I needed to do in order to be a better mom. Conscious yeah. parenting. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, wow. Okay, so that's, that's, that's part two of this is, is talking about all that. Wow, so we did. It's amazing how time... So being, what's so beautiful about these conversations is that, in some sense, we're we're in being held by that. Yeah. Thing that's hard to describe, and (laughs) it's so beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. you.
1: This is really lovely, and Um, I
0: think
1: you know it was wonderful to, I think just just connect in this way and and. It doesn't feel like we're sitting in front of our computer screens.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, 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 it doesn't. It doesn't. It's so, it's beautiful. And so the information about your book and your website and all those, you know, all that information will definitely be on the website for the podcast and in the notes and all that stuff. And maybe just you want to just tell people that stuff too just in case yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. So my book again is called a good wife escaping the life I never chose and my website is just my name so www.samaravafar.com and it has all my information upcoming speaking gigs which are literally <laughs> almost none because of because everything's canceled but I'm doing a lot of virtual stuff I am Very, very accessible on social media. So Instagram is kind of my go-to. It's I am Samra Zafar. That's the handle. And I am actually planning to do regular Instagram live sessions uh, with readers, with audiences, like at least, you know, a few times a week to be able to talk about topics like these and, and have those discussions and putting out videos and content all the time. So, so yeah, connect with me and I love, love, love hearing from everybody.
0: Yeah amazing okay well thanks here i'm i'm gonna I'm gonna pre- stop the recording and then i'll just say bye uh less formally <laughs> okay there we go thank you oh
1: this was lovely thank you
0: <laughs> yeah it is it's so nice and it's just so nice to hear you sort of share all that and, and it was lovely yeah
1: yeah, it was, I, I hear you. It was like, yeah, we're, we're in an embrace. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's, it's good to have these kind of soul conversations with people. It is. It. <laughs> yeah. You know, like after
0: yeah. I
1: came back from Algonquin last week, now I'm planning this this road trip into, into Yukon and Alaska and stuff, right? So I was telling a friend about it and he's like, wouldn't you be bored, like all by yourself, for like uh, <laughs> four weeks? And I'm like, but I won't be by myself. I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> You're taking some ghost with you? I'm
0: like,
1: no. <laughs> extra I'll make friends wherever I go, uh, and I'm not gonna be by myself. I love my own company. <laughs> yeah. Think you can't, what, what do I say? <laughs> right? uh, that's it's amazing. A spiritual journey, and like, you're going to find some kind of a spirit or something like that. Not. <laughs> <awesome. laughs> yes,
0: yeah, so it's hiding in that mountain over there somewhere.
1: Yes, exactly. <laughs> oh,
0: it's awesome! Wow.
1: it's it's good cool. to talk to somebody who gets it.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure, it is. It's nice. Okay, well, thanks and uh, you know in our, in terms of our other stuff about the education and the w- mental health and the schools and all that, I definitely have that on my radar and trying to figure out what that's gonna look like going forward so i'm gonna definitely take you up on your yeah you said to
1: forming some ideas I think uh, at this point, I am working on online courses right now for parents and for women, so those are the two that I'm starting off with, and then I'll you know keep building upon it, but it would be oh. great to use some of that and then create some workshops, programs, etc., for schools and the school board especially. I think all of them hopefully would jump on it. Maybe we could put in a bit of a spirituality component into it too. You know, I think people are just too politically correct in Canada. And then people will be like, oh, why are they teaching this stuff? It goes against our religion. And then and then they just don't want to dabble in because they don't want to offend the hardcore Muslims and the hardcore Christians, and you know.
0: And yeah. Totally. Yeah.
1: So tricky. Whenever anything faith based comes into play, people have their guards up.
0: You yeah, know? for sure. Yeah. Just gotta sneak it in the side door with different words.
1: <laughs> yeah. Exactly. to that in a little bit. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. Cool. So I'm gonna let you know how that's going and just whatever. Yeah. Whatever you think.
1: Perfect.
0: One way or the other. Yeah. Okay, cool. Awesome.
1: Take care. Feel good. Yeah.
0: Thanks again. I I sincerely appreciate it though. Thank you.